from the NFL. If you're Dak Prescott, individual numbers aren't enough anymore. You want to get paid? Win something. To the NBA. Who gives a about the Pelicans if Zion don't play? Across the landscape of college football. There's no such thing as a good loss in the ACC. So if you're Clemson, you better win every game. And so much more. Let's talk some sports, baby. The stories you want. Baseball is back. Basketball is almost back. And football is on the way. You love to see it. The opinions you need. Sports is what this country needs. And I truly, truly believe that. I'll let you boy. It's Jay Wise. It's the drink. It's the beard. And it's the wisdom. I hope you brought pen and paper because class is in session. And Nathan Drinkard. Remember, make tomorrow better than t- today and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we're going to do. We're going to holler at you until next time, baby. This is A Drink of Wisdom. Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom. With Jay Wise, I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thank you for spending some of your time with us tonight. As a reminder to all our listeners, besides being on all your favorite podcast platforms, A Drink of Wisdom is also on YouTube with each show segment available. Head on over and like what you hear. We would appreciate your subscription. We're without drink tonight, so it's just you and me, man. How's it going? Hey, you know, it's going uh, going good. Uh, busy day, busier than normal. Um, but glad we uh, glad we get into the you know best part of my day. Um, you know, no drink tonight, but uh, we'll, we'll make it happen. It's, it's the beard and it's the wisdom. Let's go do it. Let's do it, man. In episode 83, Jamal Adams exits the Big Apple, Zion sort of returns, and the Lakers and Clippers in their season series in a split. But we begin tonight with the only topic on anyone's mind, which is COVID-19 and how it's affecting sports. With the restarts underway in the MLB and NBA and the NFL looming large, the leagues are having mixed results. The MLB has taken the biggest hit so far, with 18 of 33 Marlins players testing positive this week after a series in Philly. Other positive tests have put other games in jeopardy as well. Meanwhile, in the NFL, the opt-outs have been pouring in all week, with roughly half the NFL teams seeing at least one player hang up their cleats before 2020 even starts. The Patriots do lead the league with six players, but many other big names have stepped out as well. Meanwhile, the NBA, they've had the best luck with their bubble with no positive results since the arrival of the teams three weeks ago. So, Jay, let's go ahead and start with baseball. What's going on with the Marlins, and how is uh, MLB looking to handle this? Well, you just told it. Well, you just told us what happened. Um, they're they're in they're in the middle of an outbreak, a uh, quite severe, I might tell you. When over, you know, you come out there with a thirty man roster, and we uh, we're up to eighteen positive tests. I mean, that's that that's that's quite significant. Um, and it, it's um, I find it interesting how this is all played out. It began with um, Jorge Alfaro testing positive last Friday, and then we had three others test positive on that Sunday. So by by that Sunday, you had four players positive, and they still elected to play that game, the final game of the three-game series against the Philadelphia Phillies. And then the next day, before they left, before they left Philadelphia, we have a total of eleven players, I believe. And it's every every single day. It seems like we're adding another player to this list. So I'm just, it, it's curious how the number continues to go up each day. I don't know what the Marlins did, but I would I would have to venture to say um, whatever protocols and mitigation they have put into place, something something has went awry. I don't think I think we would expect, and we're seeing, and we've seen um, today now the Cardinals have got they got some cases now, so their series against the Brewers has been postponed. As far as I know, we saw the Phillies; they had they have they, they've been fortunate. No players have tested positive, to my knowledge, at this time, but they had a coach and a clubhouse employee test positive. We got that word yesterday. So they've shut down their ballpark as of right now. But back to the Marlins, um, something, has, something has seriously went awry with their process. I know, and I think it's a big contrast between what the NBA is doing with the, their bubble system and what Major League Baseball has elected to do as far as having teams uh, play in their home stadiums. And we're seeing how that can be perhaps that is some of the problem that I think it's reasonable to um, assume that that's part of the problem is having to travel. But I got to I got to believe that perhaps the Marlins, even though they're not restricted to a bubble, perhaps there need to be some restrictions in place while you're in a certain area as far as 
um, I don't know, going out to restaurants, um, other types of activities you're doing away from the baseball field. Um, because the, to me, the Marlins by themselves, one outbreak I don't think kills a season as devastating as it is to that team. But as we continue to now see other teams faced with this, I don't know, and we discussed this before, I don't know where the line is for the commissioners of these sports, but at some point, if, if, if multiple teams have this problem, we're going to get to a point where the season has to be shut down, and I hope we don't get to that point. I hope we can learn from the – I hope the Marlins can learn what they, what, whatever they've done wrong. There's got to be something they've done wrong. Um, but whatever those things that they haven't done right – Major League Baseball, this isn't about, you know, dropping a hammer on the mall and saying, oh, you, you messed up and you got to pay the price. No, what, whatever you did, let's learn from it so we can disseminate, disseminate that information to other teams. We can learn from this and have a safer season because I think it is possible, I th but I think we got to tighten the screws on some of these mitigation factors because I don't think, I don't think if we're absolutely doing all the right things that this would happen. And not only that, listen, again, 11 players, about 11 players had, uh, as of Monday, I believe, they had 11 players. Um, Tuesday, you have four more. Wednesday, you have another player. Thursday, another player. So it's just curious, when you have an outbreak, why, why is not everyone, it doesn't seem plausible or possible if this is the news cycle. Everyone must not be getting tested at the same regimen. It seems to me if you have if you have an outbreak where you go from four to 11 players, everybody's got to get tested immediately. So I'm just curious how the number incrementally goes up each day. And as far as their season, well, they haven't played since that Sunday game. The Major League Baseball canceled all their upcoming games. That, that's, that's not good. And you wonder, once they get back into a situation where they can play, how are they going to make up these games? I don't know if it's going to be possible for them to make up these games. There's going to be, I mean, I guess if you play a week full of double hitters, maybe you do that. I don't know if you want to do that. And, but then you also have to consider the Marlins have to now go out and make an entirely new roster. I mean, some of the things that this entails, this is a huge undertaking. Um, if you listen to some of the baseball pundits out there, this is not something that is easily rectifiable. Um, so baseball, we, we got to pay attention to this and the commissioner and the, play, the players, the baseball and the players association, they've got to get together and figure out with these teams that are having these, these, uh, series of cases, particularly the Marlins, because this is something that can't happen. You can't have this many players test positive. The season won't survive. If we see many more situations like the Marlins are having, it won't survive. And especially if you start seeing, remember, and think about this. The Marlins are a team in my mind, and I know people, you know, some people try and make it look, oh, you know, they start out two and one, so much hope for them. They're the Marlins. Let's not get carried away with this, people. So in, in that estimation, it's not a huge deal to me because it's the Marlins. But if this, is, if this happens to the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Astros, some of these big-time teams, we're going to be – baseball is going to be in a world of hurt, and they're going to have to respond. So um, – and, and, and to transition to what this means for the NFL, the NFL has chosen not to play in hubs, not to play in bubbles, and it's going to – and for baseball and uh, especially football, basketball in terms of roster sizes, a lot less guys. So in terms of if you pick a facility for a bubble, I mean, you're not going to need as, as robust a facility for the NBA as opposed to Major League Baseball and the NFL. And, oh, by the way, the NBA didn't bring the whole league down to Orlando. And it wasn't gotta, a full season either. They, uh, right. they had the not playoffs a, in a slice of a regular season. So. That's right. Not Yeah, not a full season either. So the NFL, NFL has got to be paying attention to this too because I would surmise they're going to have similar issues as they progress. And as far as Major League Baseball and NFL not choosing to play in bubbles, I'm not going to hammer them for that because it's not something I, th I, I thought of. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer in – Let's see. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna play armchair quarterback and hindsight is 2020. I'm not gonna do that to him. Although you know, if you were on the side of bubbles from the beginning and you think they should play in bubbles, I, I think that's uh, absolutely something you should look into, and you can take that position. But as far as some of the some of the opt outs we're seeing, to get specifically to the football field, 
um, there's some significant names that we've seen, and I believe we could, we could possibly see more. I think August 3rd is the deadline. But uh, the New England Patriots in particular are getting hammered in this regard. And it's, um, it's one of those situations where I'm, I'm, I'm having to rethink my position of the New England Patriots being the AFC East favorites. Because think about this. There's some significant contributors that, they're gonna, that have opted out. Um, Dante Hightower, significant piece of that defense. And you now think about that linebacking core. Um, you lost Jamie Collins and Kyle Van Noy in free agency. So now Dante Hightower isn't going to play. That's your entire linebacking core. That's, that, that spells trouble to me. Also, Patrick Chung in that secondary, that's a little bit, of, that's, a, that's a little chink in that armor of that secondary, which is, extreme, which is extremely excellent. They're great back there. And then, and then Marcus Cannon, um, one of your better offensive linemen at right tackle. Significant, three significant losses that, to me, they, almost, they pretty much offset the acquisition of Cam Newton, which I was so excited about. So that's something to pay attention to. I don't, I, I'm not quite sure why the Patriots are getting hit the hardest by this. And they're not the only team, but the Patriots have been the, it seems like they're being most hit significantly by these opt-outs. And it's going to be interesting as we continue to move forward to see how other teams are affected. Yeah, this is definitely the first, uh, kind of the worst case scenario, you would say, maybe for baseball so far as having one big outbreak. You know, one of the questions we had when we saw these leagues start this back up, and we had we had the, the word that sports are coming back. One of the biggest issues we had was, okay, well, one or two guys get it. We can let them off to the side, and that's that. What if a whole team catches it? What if we get this big outbreak in one team, and you have a team that, like, almost can't even field a team? Because right now, like you said, 18 of the 33 Marlins players. I mean, they got more guys down in Florida at their training camp uh, facilities. They're, they're getting spun up, but you can get people off the waiver wire and free agency and – whatever else in your your farm systems but that's uh that's replacing more than half your team that that's not something you want to have happen and we asked the question well in that case do we just cancel the season what are we going to do and so far baseball hasn't you know they there was some talk rumblings of it this week but they the owners meetings went and came and went they didn't they're not going to do that at least for now but as you said uh rob manfred said today he told tony clark hey if you guys don't figure this out pretty quick we are going to have to shut the season down because having this kind of look is really bad and they've already had to delay something like 20 games if you count all the different teams that have had games postponed the twins the brewers uh, the Cardinals, the Marlins, the Orioles were involved. They had some games scheduled, etc. It creates this chain reaction where you can only backlog so much into your schedule before there's just no more room. We're already they're already looking down the very real possibility the Marlins won't have a 60 game schedule. Now, you know the Marlins or the Marlins, it's probably not going to matter. But again, like you said, what if this was the Yankees? What if Giancarlo Stanton and, and Aaron Judge were out and all these other big, huge names in baseball were out? And the Yankees had to go fill their roster with just random, you know, core dudes. Like, what, would, would it even be the Yankees at this point? Like, would they just be some, like, farm team of the Yankees? Like, would you even associate them with the New York Yankees? And it quickly becomes a problem of, well, what's even the point if all of our players can't play because there was a big outbreak? As far as the testing goes, there is something to be said about tests being delayed on their return. You know, we had a couple the, – the whole uh, Brewers-Cardinals thing was because a, a player got tested before a game, but his, his result didn't come back till the following evening. But like you said, 18 players over the course of four or five days of this played out, someone dropped the ball somewhere. This wasn't just, oops, all these tests came back in one batch. You know, this, this, this was a slow roll through the days, and it sounds like – protocol got messed up or a protocol that's in place isn't functioning and working correctly so if it can happen to the marlins it can happen to other teams as well so baseball is in a very precarious spot and i think for right now if they damage control this they can survive this but if this happens probably two three more teams that's it you're we're 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 going to see this and the NFL has to be watching this closely. And again, like you said, these teams can't really play and, and baseball could have kind of done a hub thing. You could have had a, you had a group of teams in Arizona and Florida and like New York or something. You could have maybe done something, but NFL 16 weeks uh, games, 18 weeks of total, you know, and then the playoffs, it would have been too much to try to put into an actual hub or, or have the players in that one position that long. 
but you already have all these players opting out. And like you said, no bona fide superstars, no high paid quarterbacks yet, but there's some really good players that are missing besides the guys like you said on the Patriots, guys like Damian Williams are out, uh, Eddie Goldman for the Bears. These guys are big losses. You know, they're not players that are going to hard carry you to a Super Bowl by themselves. But hey, if you're Chicago and it's week nine and your run defense to Swiss cheese all of a sudden, a guy like Eddie Goldman, someone you really wish you had around, and you're not going to have him because this is a hard opt-out. You do, there's no coming back. There's no, well, I changed my mind. It looks better. or what? No, you opt out. You are out the whole season. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. You are locked out for the 2020 season. So these guys are not going to be around, and they're going to be replaced by mid to late round draft picks, career backups, and it's, it's going to be tough. And I'll tell you, the NFL is going to really get to hurting if quarterbacks start opting out. Imagine even a mid-tier guy. Imagine Nick Foles or Teddy Bridgewater. Not even I'm not even talking like a Drew Brees or a Lamar Jackson or something. I'm talking about just like a mid-tier quarterback. If a Teddy Bridgewater opts out, I mean that's that could change Carolina's entire trajectory. That could their whole first year they've got there and their new guy, that could wreck everything. And it could have a big implication on a team and their their 21 draft and all that from here on out. So so far, it looks like the ML or the NBA got this right. They've had no COVID positives three weeks. Their bubble looks great. It came on last night. They are living the high life, and these other two leagues are already got a lot of question marks. So we'll see if the MLB can recover from this and get the clamps on it, and we'll see if the NFL is going to possibly have to work back on this and maybe rethink some of their policies as we get into the season. It'll be very interesting to see. All right, let's move to the NFL where we had big news last weekend. Saturday, the Seattle Seahawks, well, they completed a blockbuster trade. They got all-pro safety Jamal Adams. They got him from the Jets. And we also saw a fourth-round pick go to Seattle. And the Jets, in return, they get two first-round picks in the 2021 and 2022 drafts. And they also get a 2021 third-round pick. And they also get safety Bradley McDougald. Uh, Jamal Adams, well, he'd made his desire for a new contract very public with the Jets. And I guess the Jets simply didn't want to pay him or couldn't pass up Seattle's will of an offer. All right, Cody, so who got the better end of this trade and why? So I, I might be a bit in the minority here, but I really like this for Seattle. I, I do. I'm telling you, I, I think a lot of people look at the haul of what the Jets uh, return with and they go, well, I mean, that's so good. How could that not be the best thing ever? But I, I like Jamal Adams of Seattle a lot. You know, it's, that's not a team I thought of originally when we had first talked about this about a month or two ago when he had made his contract disputes kind of well-known. It I wasn't a team I thought I was thinking maybe more like Baltimore kind of really going all in or something with that young team they got. They can still sort of swing the salary. But, uh, you know, Seattle kind of has that cover three, cover one type defense they love to run. That's the defense they ran back with the Legion of Boom. You play a lot of base defense, a lot of zone. You kind of let your players just do their thing. And a lot of times it revolves around one high safety and your box safety getting to kind of go around and do whatever he wants which is that's Jamal Adams like perfect thing right there and we know Pete Carroll likes to coach the team he wants more than the team he has and as of late the Seahawks have not had the talent they used to have on that defense and it's let them down they've had a lot of series where they needed one more play, right? Because we know Seattle's good for the playoffs. Russ, Russ is getting you to the playoffs. He's going to get you 10, 12, 13 wins. You're going to get to the playoffs with him. But the last couple of years, they failed to have that difference maker, that, the, that one more play, that one more interception, that one more you know possession. And it's cost them. It's cost them in the playoffs. And Adams, he's your guy when you're talking about a guy that can come in and make that much of a difference. Um, when you look at what Minka Fitzpatrick did for the Steelers last year, why wouldn't Jamal Adams do the same thing? He, I mean, Minka took a pretty good defense and made them elite in a lot of categories and floated a team that shouldn't have been that good. I mean, you had you had Rudolph and the other dude, I don't even remember his name anymore, about they're messing around at quarterback. That team should have won three games, and they won a lot more because of how good that defense was. And you can't tell me Minka Fitzpatrick wasn't a huge difference in, in maker and what I like about Jamal Adams is it's really going to free him up to go back to what they like to do which is that cover three defense you have if Quentin Dunbar can play he's on that exempt list right now hopefully he gets that sorted out and you have Trey Flowers as well they're they're great man coverage uh corners so if you want to run that as well you also have that option but when you have a safety like Jamal Adams in the backfield you you get the slot coverage he can cover in the slot he can cover guys like George Kittle uh he can all you know guy you're going to see twice a year uh he can also free up your corners 
corners to play a little more aggressive. Your corners can play a little more man because they know they've got someone behind them that's got their back. It just makes your all your your secondary better. And let's not even talk about the fact that uh, Seattle has an absolutely anemic pass rush. These guys are they were pretty much the worst. You could make an argument they were the worst pass rush last year, and that's with Jadavian Clowney, who is no longer on the premise as far as we know. Uh, Jamal Adams is six and a half sacks last year would have led Seattle. You know how depressing that sounds? That's that's pretty bad. So we know Jamal Adams can roam around. He can come up, line up as at a blitz, and create a lot of uh, pre-snap motion and, and throw some teams off. And he's going to make your pass rush better too because, hey, if I don't have a great pass rush, but I've got a guy like Jamal Adams and some of these really good secondary players they have, and Bobby Wagner, of course, can't forget him running around, that's going to help give your pass rush a few more seconds, you know, and if maybe a second or two that quarterback holds the ball and your average players rushing the passer can maybe make those difference making plays that you are lacking right now. So I think a lot of people just look at this as a, well, they got a little bit better at what they're already good at, but it's not going to be a big difference. And I would argue that maybe Jamal Adams is a big difference. You know, you, you're in the NFC. You, there's a lot of weapons just within your division. Again, George Kittle, DeAndre Hopkins, and, you know, maybe Cooper Cup even. Some of the guys on the Rams, they got a lot of talent on offense. And then you have guys, Julio Jones. I mean, the list goes on, Michael Thomas. So you you need all the help you can get on the defense, especially if you're Seattle. And when I when I go to grade this trade, I've got to think that Seattle did a good job. I'm giving them a B plus because they did give up a lot. You know, the two first round picks, a third round pick, and a quality player. That's a lot. That's more than the Jacksonville got for Jalen Ramsey, which is two first and a fourth. So you know, you have to temper a little bit because it seems like Seattle maybe could have kind of beat him down a little bit, or maybe Seattle just wanted him. And if he was available, they didn't care and just threw the, just threw what it, here's your blank check. We just want him. We don't care. Maybe that was the case. So I do give it a B plus, but I, I like this. I like that you've got a legitimate all pro talent to help Russell Wilson in his prime in the prime of his contract. And he's not getting any cheaper or younger. So why not go for it? And, you know, for the Jets, hey, I'm sticking to my guns here. You don't get better by trading your best players. You just don't. I'm, I'm sorry. It, it is like scratching off a million-dollar lottery ticket and then taking it to the lottery office and buying a million dollars with the lottery tickets. Like, you might get lucky again, sure, but what if you do? You just going to go trade that one in too? Like, you've got to start building around your talent at some point. These teams that aren't good don't understand that. And yeah, it's a great haul in theory, but what if you draft someone that never sees a snap because of injury or, or off the field issues, and then one of those picks doesn't even matter, and the other one's just a role player? Well, I'd much rather have Jamal Adams than that. So yeah, I'm giving the Jets a C plus because they did get a, a, a serious haul, but I'm sticking to my guns, man. You don't get better by trading your best players. So I, I think Seattle won the trade. Yeah, this huge, huge, first of all, let's just say huge haul for the Jets. But the way I'm looking at, I'm looking at this trade, short term, the Seahawks win this trade uh, because Jamal Adams is a top three safety in this league, in my estimation. And I got a lot of respect for Bradley McDougal. And I think that's also significant when you look in this trade because the Jets, it's not like they just give up Jamal Adams and they didn't get anything back that can help them right now. McDougal's a good player, but he's not Jamal Adams. And when I look at Seattle, and I think one of the points you brought up was a great one, George Kittle. That's a, that's a huge deal because Jamal Adams is a guy who can help you in that regard. And now not only that, it doesn't have to be just Jamal Adams by himself. The 49er passing game is so reliant on George Kittle. Now you have a situation where you have linebackers like Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright, and now you got Jamal Adams, and don't forget about Quandre Diggs. So you got a lot of different guys you can work in there on George Kittle. And so that, that's a huge plus. And Jamal Adams, he's, he's a guy that, in my mind, transcendent talent. You look at the way his career has progressed so far, three seasons, High-end production, you, you talked about the, the sack numbers, that there, there are metrics that actually back up his talent. It's not one of these defensive players who you can't find metrics, like a, a shutdown corner who doesn't have the interceptions because he's right. not getting the ball thrown his way. No, he's got the actual numbers to back up what we see with our very eyes. And when you look at, when you look at this move in terms of the NFC West, I believe this makes Seattle the favorite in this division. I would, I would bet on them to win that division because – you couple this, you couple this with San Francisco. I think there's going to be somewhat of a Super Bowl hangover. I think that's what we're going to see. And plus, when you look at Russell Wilson, he's going to carry that offense. He's going to do what he does. 
but you just need a, you need a little bit more from that defense. And man, did you get did you get some help in a superstar? And then you talk about the the some of the other pieces in that secondary. If you can get if I don't know if you can get Quentin Dunbar uh, on the field with uh, the legal troubles he's got going on right now, but if you can get him back somehow, and don't forget about Shaquille Griffin, he's a, he's a stud. He's another stud you have on that defense. And when you think about what they're what they're uh, formulating right now. Um, could it be that Pete Carroll's trying to give you a little Legion of Boom 2.0? I don't know if these guys quite measure up to that. I think Jamal Adams probably is the only guy strictly talent that we would look at to say, oh, yeah, 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 Cam Chancellor, Jamal Adams, that's a little bit of equality going on. I'm not saying, I'm not saying Shaq Griffin is Richard Sherman, and I'm definitely not saying Quandre Diggs or, is Earl Thomas, but these are really, really good players that, that, can, get, that can do things for you. And I think if you and combine that with Bobby Wagner, who is an absolute stud, no denying it. Best middle linebacker in the uh, in the NFL, perhaps. Uh, but if you can if you can get a little bit a little bit of improvement from that pass rush, the Seattle defense could be much improved and could complement what Russell Wilson and those guys do on the offensive end very well. And I think I think Seattle is a team to beat in the NFC West with this move. I will say on the on the other hand, the Jets could make this an even deal and perhaps come out better. But you're gonna ha- you're gonna have to hit on these picks. And we know how it goes. I mean, think about it. Jamal Adams, you get him with the sixth overall pick. And this was a, this was a, we talked about a high-end contributor. And you, you just, you let him go for, you just can't get on the same page with him. And it, remember, it stems out for trade talks that you had with the Cowboys last season when Jamal Adams was under the impression that he was untouchable and could not be traded, which is, we know that, we know it's a fallacy. We know that's not real. It's, a, it's the business of football. Right. But that's but that's kind of the situation the Jets put them in when you have those type of leaks, and the the situ the relationship in my estimation it was never repaired, so it continued to disintegrate. And of course, you know what is it when a guy dis, gets disrespected, he wants a new contract. They couldn't get that done, and as far as the the haul that they get, it's a big haul. And I you know we discussed this. This is what it was going to take. You got a you got one of the best players in his position, similar to a Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey was two first-round picks. Jamal Adams got two years. He got two years. Two years on the cheap that they're going to have him. So, yeah, it was going to take two first-round picks. Um, they get a, they also get a third. They get an actual contributor right now, McDougal. Th- that's, a, that's a big haul, but it's going to come down to what those picks turn out to be. And with Seattle, with Seattle, I mean, I don't anticipate them to, you know, go in the, uh, in the, uh, in the basement anytime soon. So those picks are likely going to be in the, in the uh, I would say, mid to high 20s, low 20s if we're being conservative. So it, it's going to be tough. They're also, you know, the Jets are also going to have their own first round picks. But that's what it's going to be predicated on. I mean, this is, this is one of those type of moves where you look at a general manager and say, uh, we're going to find out about you when, when it comes to draft time, Joe Douglas. This is one of those things that we got to pay attention to uh, moving forward. But I will say, I will say for the Jets right now, this is just one of those things. If you're a player on that jet, on that, uh, if you're another like big, a big name player on that Jets team, not that they have many, but think about what I've I've broken down on on several occasions. You had three, you had three top end talents up the middle on that defense: Quentin Williams, C.J. Mosley, and Jamal Adams. I would I would think that would be something you would want to build around. Give Greg Williams the foundational pieces he needs on that defense. And you give up the best one. Jamal Adams is their best player, period. You don't have him anymore. It, it, it's, it, when we look at the AFC East, we talk about how open it is with the loss of Tom Brady. But when you look at the Jets, they're the, they're the one team I could see this season going completely sideways. I, mean, I don't think it's beyond the pale of, of reason to think they could be the worst team in that division because you're just giving away talent and we talked about how Sam Darnold, even though you've upgraded in some in some respects with uh, your first round pick, Makai Becton, you also get Denzel Mims. But it, it's just hard to believe in the Jets right now, and it's going to come down to what they do with these future picks. But right now, it, it's not a good situation. Um, and when you look at Adam Gase and Joe Douglas, um, better start improving, and it, be- it better happen quickly. That's all I got to say about it. 
Yeah, I would add in from the Jets' perspective, you know, one of the things you could be hinging around is Sam Darnold. This could be a bit of a bit hedging your bets going into next season. If Jamal or if um, Sam Darnold has more struggles, which he probably will because you're trading all of his good players, which is kind of the vicious cycle these teams get caught in. Uh, ask me how I know. But, you know, how do you fairly evaluate him? But if he has his struggles and if you look at him and go, eh, he's probably not our guy, you do have more ammo now. So if you want to go get you a – Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, list goes on next season. You'll have more ammo to do so, but you're back to square one, like we said. So could be something the Jets were thinking about. All right, Jay, let's move on over to the NBA bubble, where the games are finally back. Last night was the season restart for the NBA, featuring the first two regular season games. Clippers-Lakers headlined the night, seeing LeBron and AD start the restart with a victory. The Lakers won 103-101, propelled by Anthony Davis's 34 points in LeBron's game management. They also got quality play from Kyle Kuzma and Deion Waiters. The Clippers saw Kawhi and PG-13 combined for 58 points, but they were without Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell services, which kind of sunk them in the end there. The Lakers maintained their grip on first in the West, while the Clippers slipped back, and they now have Denver right in their review mirror. So, Jay, what do you take away from this game? Well, I, I told you this last night. Um, I wasn't going to make too big a deal out of this game, um, no matter which way it went. When you look at all the different variables that you have in this game, and when you look at the Clippers, you talk about no Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell. Um, that's significant. Those you look, you talk about sixth and seventh men. I mean, those are the guys um, that you think about, and they're significant in the Clippers' um, ability to close games. So we got to think about that. Um, and then for the Lakers, you look at uh, the backcourt issues that they uh, that they could have. Uh, we know Rajon Rondo's out with the uh, with the thumb injury. Um, Avery Bradley opting out. So you're incorporating different pieces in the backcourt. Um, so we have to pay attention to those things. So um, the result is not too big of a deal to me. I, th I think it's definitely a positive that the Lakers uh, end the season with a, with a split um, after dropping the first two games of the season. Um, but again, I, I don't think it's something to get too, um, too up in arms about because if we're talking about Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell playing this game, I think it's very reasonable that we could – have seen a different outcome. Um, but as far as, um, as, far as a, a major takeaway, um, let's, let, me, let me go to LeBron James um, real quick. Um, I think it's safe to say that was a pretty subpar performance he delivered last night. Um, did not shoot the ball well. Um, he was deferential uh, quite often, which is, and that's fine. I got no problem with that. Uh, but the way he closed the game, I want to go to the way he closed the game. You think about what he did on the final offensive possession for the Lakers. Um, had, a had, a, had a little bit of a running shot that it looked like he was, he was waiting for the officials to bail him out on. But he pursued the basketball, gets the rebound, puts it in. And then on the final possession for the Clippers, um, he stays on his feet when Kawhi pump fakes, doesn't allow him to get off a shot. And then when Kawhi gives the ball up to Paul George, he switches out on Paul George and forces him into an almost impossible running three-pointer the way he closed that game, offensively and defensively, is championship-level stuff. It's nothing to be – and it's not like I'm surprised. I don't think any of us should be surprised by that. But that is about the most impressive way you can finish a basketball game. And, by, and again, by and large, he did not play a good game. But the finishing touch he put on the game was something I was extremely impressed with. And as far as the Lakers, how they played, this is the formula – I think they should adopt throughout this restart and into the playoffs. I think they should lean on Anthony Davis heavily throughout the first three quarters. And then in the fourth, I think that's when LeBron should be more assertive because I, well, the one thing as much as LeBron takes care of himself and takes care of his body, you don't want him to break down because of too much being put on his shoulders and a lot's going to be put on his shoulders regardless him and AD, those are your two guys. We know there's a significant drop-off in terms of depth between the Lakers and Clippers. AD has to put – that performance AD gave us last night, he was excellent. Um, especially get his aggressiveness getting to the free throw line. He's got to be that every night in a seven-game series between these two teams, particularly when Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell um, get back into action. So those two guys, we know what the formula is. AD has to – to me, when you talk about – Kawhi and LeBron, they're going to cancel each other out in my estimation. The Anthony Davis, Paul George, the uh, Robin to Batman matchup. AD has to win that. 
he has to win it soundly in my estimation. If he can't, then I think the Lakers are in big trouble in a seven game series. Um, but as far as, as far as the supporting cast for the Lakers, I think Kyle Kuzma hit some big shots for you. That's important. If Kuzma, if you can get more of that from Kuzma and he turns into that consistent third score that we all thought at the regular season they were going to have, that could be a big deal as well. It could be a great asset to the Lakers. And when you look at what Deion Waiters did last night, I thought he was highly impressive for his, his first action. Um, I didn't see a whole lot from J.R. Smith. But I think if they can – if one of those two guys in, in a series can give you something, that could be a great benefit to you. That could be a great benefit. But one thing I'm concerned about with the Lakers, and I, I'm, and I didn't pay too much attention to it last night, but when LeBron is not on the floor, how do they initiate offense? Didn't pay, didn't pay too close attention to that last night. It didn't end up being a problem. You're able to secure this win. But I'm looking at that going forward. When LeBron's not on the floor – can they still run effective offense? As far as the Clippers, though, um, uh, Kawhi, was a little, Kawhi seemed to be a little off early on in the game, but he ended up playing a fine game, his usual um, efficient numbers. Um, Paul George, in my estimation, um, a, l- a little bit underwhelming, I think. Um, really, really was something that hasn't been um, – it's nothing new. He's been inconsistent all season, some of it due to injuries. Um, so we, I'd like to see a little bit more from him. Um, as far as the supporting cast, I take that back. Paul George, Paul George had a great game. 30 points, I'm looking at now. 30 points, five rebounds. Quite efficient, uh, 11 for 17. So that's more of what we need. But the, the real culprit for the Clippers last night was a supporting cast. Uh, remember, when we, remember when Marcus Morris was acquired and we thought that may be the nail in the coffin for the Lakers? Uh, Marcus Morris, I don't know what he's doing or not doing um, in preparation for these games. Um, you got one more time to come out there and throw up a donut. Wasn't it the, the last time these two teams matched up that he was about 0 for 9 and he was 0 for 4 last night? So you're going to have to – Marcus Moore is going to have to give me something or else he can go ahead and sit down and let somebody else play. But he wasn't the only one that wasn't giving me nothing. Landry Shaman, he couldn't find his shot last night. Uh, Zubats, Zubats, is, Zubats can be effective and he can be a problem. Um, he's the one guy with, with serious size. Um, that can pose problems and, and be a presence rebounding the basketball, he was highly ineffective last night. That's not going to be good enough uh, because you're going to need him in there to some degree to battle Anthony Davis at some point and take some of the pressure off Montrez Harrell. That's going to be a tough task to ask Harrell to battle Anthony Davis um, every minute he's on the floor. And, then, and don't get me started with Joaquin Noah. I don't know what that's about. Um, that's not going to get it done. Um, but all in all, I don't think it's a big concern for the Clippers that they lost. Um, I did not think they played well um, for the better part of the game, but they one pos- they, it was a one-possession game. It came down to the final shot. Um, and oh, by the way, quick note to both games last night, what, what a treat that both games came down to a last-second shot. What a treat. They both at times looked like they were about to come off the rails, and then yeah. both times the teams battled back, which was very cool to see. Yeah, yeah. I want to start off uh, before we get to the game itself, real quick. I want to say props to the NBA for the whole presentation. I don't know about you, I thought it was pretty well done, all things considered. Right? You agree with that? I, I would. I, th- I thought it was well played. I did. Um, as far as you know, no fans and all that. Uh, I didn't really pay that much attention to it. I thought it was well played and well set up. Um, yeah, great. To me, the NBA's done a, done a great job. Yeah, and this was, I mean, this was an, un, I mean, we've used the term unprecedented about 10,000 times re- recently, but, you know, they, this was game time. This was, you had to really make it look good. And the, the virtual fans and the, the way the kind of the lock, the, uh, the, the sidelines were sort of spread out, the players have more room. You had those, the virtual fans, you know, that was really cool. And I thought it was really, it, it, again, it felt like after a, like the first quarter, you kind of forgot what you were watching. It just kind of seemed like a normal game. You know, and they did a good job of sort of, I guess, using a little movie magic to kind of make you forget about it, which does take a lot of uh, – that takes a lot to pull off. So, big hat to them. And, of course, you also had the, uh, you know, the, the platform they used last night. You had, you know, the court with Black Lives Matter, and you had all the pregame stuff. And, o- overall, that was really well done. The NBA really had to lean into the players and using the platform and not – having that message go away. So they did a good job with that. I thought, I thought the Jersey, uh, maybe was a, the jerseys were a bit much to me. Uh, I couldn't even read some of them, but, uh, other than that, you know, hats off to him for that. 
In terms of overall, you know, the, what we first saw from the basketball, I thought it was it was pretty sloppy. I thought, you know, because you would expect these teams coming down the playoff stretch to be pretty close and being in top form. But obviously, they're not going to be with the time off. Uh, I thought the foul call seemed a little takey tag, but it was consistent, if nothing else. So that was good. Uh, you know, so overall, it was maybe a bit better than I expected, but it was about, you know, it was, I think that's about what we expected to see is just having that sort of sloppy sort of like not almost like a preseason feel, if you will. But, um, and, and overall, as far as the teams go, I think you saw both teams had some punches pulled still the Lakers. Again, they're still trying to figure out this new rotation. The Clippers are missing some pretty important, uh, contributors, especially Lou Williams being their six man. Uh, but both teams, you know, they put up big runs to the games. And they both flashed the, the idea of this is what we can be when we're at full power. You know, the Clippers had a 26 to five run that put them up in the third quarter within the Lakers. They started smashing three pointers and they had a 36 to 14 run that pulled them right back into the game and ultimately got them over the edge. So uh, you, you kind of saw those flashes of man, when these teams are clicking, Boy, they can be good. Uh, you know, and for the Clippers, more specifically, you know, you got to think again, missing Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams, that was probably the difference in this game, just like you said. You know, they didn't get much from Morris or Shamit. And their advantage, their sort of trump card, is having that second unit matching up with your second units of teams like the Lakers that just aren't going to be as good. The depth is just what, what smothers teams after their one-two punch of Kawhi and PG-13. And that wasn't really there last night, you know. The again, Kawhi and, and Paul George, like you said, they played well. But other than that, the, the the second unit contribution wasn't that great. And yeah, Zubac was getting thrown a lot around a lot against AD, which is something we've seen before. So uh, trying to figure out how to slow him down in a seven game series. Uh, so far, the Clippers don't appear to have that one figured out yet. Uh, you know, for the Clippers, the biggest thing I saw was Anthony Davis getting to the foul line. You mentioned it uh, already a little bit, but I think he was was it twelve for thirteen was what or um, 16 from 17 from the stripe. And that's a big deal. I think that's bigger than people might think because as we work through this bubble, you know, fouls are probably going to be kind of tight. The, the refs are kind of anxious to get it right. And teams are playing shallower rosters. We have guys that have opted out guys that are injured guys that didn't make the trip. So, Teams don't have their full depth that they would normally have. And if Anthony Davis can get guys in foul trouble early by getting to the line, that can be a big deal in some of these games. That could outright decide a few games, I would even say. So, you know, but overall, you know, LeBron, I thought his performance was fine. You know, it was a little off for him, just 16 points. Uh, but I, I thought it was a little bit on cruise control early besides those defensive possessions. He had a couple, not just the one at the end of the game. He had a couple where he really locked down on defense. That Again, that might be something we see, a more defensive, facilitating LeBron early and then late game he tries to take over on offense that's something we definitely could see more of uh, Kyle Kuzma had a great night on both sides of the ball you like to see him hitting threes especially if Danny Green doesn't feel like hitting them like last night so hopefully you know if the Lakers can get a couple guys that can hit threes they're going to be hard to beat and they can get a, just a decent performance from a guy like Waiters, Kuzma, maybe JR. They're going to be in good shape. But overall, like you said, I'm not taking too much away from this game. Uh, we'll, we'll see in a couple weeks when the real series starts. Yeah, and, and back to your point about Anthony Davis. Um, as far as Lakers, Clippers, the foul trouble to me won't be the problem for the Clippers because they, they got the depth. They can throw a different people at him. Mm-hmm. But AD, not only being the number two option, he's got to win that matchup against Paul George. But he's got to win it more importantly because the Clippers don't have an they don't have an answer for him. Right. You think about it. Zubac and Noah, they got size, but they don't have the athleticism nor the agility, the speed, all those different things. And then Montrez Harrell, Marcus Morris, whoever else you want to try to throw at him, they're not big enough. So that's a huge quandary. And exact when when he has smaller defenders on him, and even and even with Zubac, he's got to punish them at the basket. And that's what he did last night. All right, we'll stay in the NBA bubble. There was another NBA game uh, last night with the Utah Jazz and the New Orleans Pelicans facing off. Jazz win that one, 106-104. Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell led the Jazz, also get help from Jordan Clarkson. He scored 23 off the bench. The Pelicans had a lead in the second half, but with Zion benched with a minutes restriction, they were unable to close the game out. Jazz keep pace with uh, that three through six range of Western Conference playoff teams. The Pelicans, though, they take an early hit on their hopes to catch Memphis in the playoff race. So what stood out to you the most from this game? Yeah, so overall, I hold on, my phone, phone's got one of those Amber Alerts. Uh, missing six foot six, 285-pound forward <laughs> from the Pelican. Oh, yeah. Yeah, missing Zion. That was kind of a big deal. I, Man, that is – 
it, what's disappointing about it for New Orleans is you could look at this in a way where you could go, man, we only had Zion a few minutes and we still almost won the game. But how you should look at it is this is really disappointing if you're in New Orleans. You have one of the two best teams of your schedule on the ropes because your schedule is basically the Jazz and the Clippers Saturday, and then you play – you know, pretty much the, the bottom feeders the rest of the time. So this is one of your only two big games you had. And you didn't have your best player for most of the game, and you let it get away. And one of the biggest issues was these periods of just really sloppy basketball. I mean, the, the New Orleans Pelicans turned the ball over last night 21 times. Now, that stat's pretty bad. But you can look at the Jazz and go, oh, well, well, the Jazz also turned it over 20 times. So, like, what's your point, you? Well, my point is the Jazz are dead last in forced turnovers in the NBA. They currently only t- force 12.2 per game. Their defense is very kind of come-at-me sort of defense. They don't really get on the attack too much on defense. And there were just these careless throwaways. You know, Lonzo Ball and Drew Holiday were some of the biggest culprits. They combined for nine of the turnovers. And you and me both saw a lot of passes where, like, Ball would just throw it at the virtual fans. I guess they were going to catch it and, and shoot one from their from the laptop, I guess. But, you know, if you're a team that isn't going to bother really to play defense, which the Pelicans really don't, and your scoring is sort of still fits and starts, you don't really have that, like, reliable scoring – you can't do that, you know? And that is something that really crippled the Pelicans last night because they played fairly well, you know, for stretches outside of that. They had some good contributions. Brandon Ingram looked really good last night. Uh, J.J. Redick really kind of helped buoy that second unit at times. And Derek Favors was bumping bodies with Gobert and doing his grind and work. But you, you can't you can't be playing that kind of basketball down the stretch because a team like the Jazz is going to catch up to you. And I don't think the Jazz, like, won this game. New Orleans lost it. You know, the Jazz played their consistent, methodical basketball, and they just sort of hoped New Orleans would start messing around and get back in it. And, hey, mission accomplished. That's what they did. You know, the Jazz, to me, they were really lackluster on offense, and they don't they don't really have a lot of scoring weapons if Donovan Mitchell isn't hot, you know. But what you can't – and that, that's fine. You, you have your team identity. You're going to play tough defense. You're going to be consistent. You're going to try to win these games and sort of these slower-paced games. That, that's fine. But – what I really can't excuse last night was the Jazz's ball movement. It was virtually non-existent. It was awful at times. And a lot of these possessions were just these iso ball barf ups, like four dudes would come down there and they just stand there and they look at the fans and they look at the bench and think about what they're eating later. And then one dude just takes some contested jumper. And it's like, what, what are y'all doing? Like, I mean, there are teams that can kind of do that. You know, you got your teams with guys like James Harden who can just shoot from anywhere. Well, Hey, that's great. But the Jazz don't play that kind of game, and Jazz are going to have to have that really good team basketball because I just kept thinking, you know, watching the game, if a team like Houston or Oklahoma City was in a seven-game series right now, they would wax them in round one. They'd probably bounce them in four or five games. Uh, if they're going to keep this going, you know, Mike Conley is going to have to play a lot better than he did. He'll have to play better like he did in the second half because he did pick it up. You know, he was real rusty in that first half, but he started to pick it up. And I'm going to need something from this bench besides Jordan Clarkson playing 2K by himself. Like, I like him. I, he did great. He was a great spark. He's a great kind of six-man, kind of spark off the bench. Great acquisition of the trade. He's been hot since he got there. But I, I'm going to need something from the Jazz's offense more than just enough to beat the Pelicans. That's not going to cut it in the Western Conference when it comes time for the, for the heavy hitters to show up. And, and it kind of it spins back to the whole team ball versus star ball problem where I think teams like the Jazz and the Celtics and teams that play more team concept basketball without these superstars that you can just close your eyes and hand them the ball and have them do stuff, they're going to struggle, I think, more because of all the rust and all the lack of practice and things like that, where by now their chemistry would be clicking. They'd have all their systems figured out, whereas a lot of these these teams that just rely on their superstars doing the superstar thing. And I think the jazz are going to be one of those examples. So, yeah, I mean, they, they, you know, overall the Pelicans, they could have played so much better than they did, but we got to figure out where, what, what's up with this new Zion thing. Cause we're here and now it's going to be a thing for the next couple games. Maybe they just don't want to be here and they don't care about the playoff spot. And they're just trying to tank. I don't know what it is. I really don't, but we do that and we get a little more respect for ball control and defense. This team could challenge Memphis. And they could, I would argue they'd even be a matchup challenge for a few playoff teams, but this, this ain't going to cut it and they don't have a lot of time to fix it. I told you I was concerned about the Utah Jazz, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I- I'm still concerned. Anybody, any Utah Jazz fans that are encouraged by this win, you're not paying attention. Um, because there, there were a lot of things about them last night that were underwhelming, including their lackluster three-point shooting. 
Yeah, eight for 34. Yeah, you're not going, you're not winning many games um, like that unless the other team just all of a sudden decides our best player, you know, he just won't be a factor. We'll play him like three minutes would a quarter. Do that? And that, would do that'll that, just be, yeah, that'll just be cool. Um, it says something, it really, doesn't it, and I said this um, repeatedly last night, Royce O'Neal was the most impressive player for me on, U- on the Utah Jazz. I was very impressed with what he gave them. Um, stepping in the starting line for, remember, no Bojan Bojanovic, that's a huge deal for me. Um, but I thought he played an exceptional game. Um, Clarkson, outside of um, the three-point shooting, he was not good. But not like that's a, not like he was the only one. But he was a, he was a big spark off the bench. You mentioned Conley. Uh, Conley picked up in the second half. Turned out to be a, a pretty s- solid performance. And Gobert, standard, fourteen and twelve, yada yada. Just you know, dunk the ball every now and then. Um, but when I look at the Jazz, and I don't want to make this as a definitive statement. But Donovan Mitchell, um, he's a fine player, all-star material. Um, but when I look at him, I really question how far he can lead a team. That's where I'm at with Donovan Mitchell. I just don't – t- and, and what I mean is I don't, see, I don't see him making other guys better. I really don't. Um, as far as I th- he can get his own shot anytime he wants, but I don't, I don't quite see the facilitator in him. You know, he did have five assists last night, so I'm not going to say he can't do it. And I think him and Gobert, they did some good things in the pick and roll last night. But by and large, I just don't see it. There's too many possessions in my estimation where it turns into a little bit of hero ball. There, you mentioned it, uh, some of the offensive sets they ran. I don't even know if you could classify them as offensive sets, but there wasn't a whole lot of rhythm to their offense. Um, so, I, I, again, I got concerns about them. And I've said this repeatedly. Um, if the Houston Rockets meet the Jazz in the first round, that's a clean sweep. Houston's sweeping this team. They just got Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Um, that, that's just too much firepower. And the, the Jazz, as solid as they are defensively, they won't be able to match how Houston can score in bunches. They just won't. That is, to me, that, that is factual. I don't, see how, I don't see how they win a game in that series. I really don't. As far as the Pelican on the, on the other side, there, there is disappointment all around in, in this game. The New Orleans Pelicans, I don't know who made this decision to play Zion. Is it 13 minutes? Is that how much he played? 15, I think, yeah. He had 13 15? points okay. in 15 minutes, I think is the – Okay, yeah. 13 – okay, 15 minutes. That – I don't understand what that is about. If you recall – the first game Zion played against the Spurs, first regular season game, so much anticipation. He played more than that, coming off an injury. He wasn't coming off an injury here. He just went to handle some family business. He comes back. The NBA has got to be th- – the NBA should be on the phone right now with New Orleans, or they should have done it after last night. And they should be like, um, hey, David Griffin, you know we set this whole bubble up for you guys right you zion is the reason we expanded this if if you won't go play zion williamson what are we even doing we could have just went we could have just brought 16 teams here and went you know played some uh you know get some uh scrimmages get some you know tune-up games and then we go straight to the playoffs we 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 even made it easy for y'all we put in this bogus play four game three-game play-in thing, you, you got to be four games within the eight seed. We made this so easy for y'all. And y'all going to come out here with this? Really? You, you, you still got the training wheels on him. And even more so than the first game he played. I don't understand that at all. That was a huge disappointment. And the NBA in general, the NBA front office, they should be looking at New Orleans today and like, this was a mistake. Man, I wouldn't. Even, I wouldn't even be mad if they looked at New Orleans and said, "You know what? Just get out the bubble. Go home. You're not even trying." They New Orleans didn't even try last night because they sat their best player and did not let him play the game of basketball. And I think real, it's a. Tr- yeah, just real quick. If you didn't see the game, he ate it up. The few minutes he played, again, he was 13 or 15 points. He scored a point a minute. He was electric. Six of eight. It was like no you just want to see more of it. You know, no question. They couldn't handle him. I mean, you talk about Nothing. some of those guys. They got Gobert down there. None of them guys can check him. 
He does whatever he wants going to the basket. It's a travesty. I don't, I don't think it's Alvin Gentry that made this call. It's no, got to be it's above not. Alvin Gentry. It's not. He said it's not him. He said in the yeah. press conference it's not him. That, but I, I, I said I really mean what I say. I would not, I would not blame the NBA, and it, they're not going to do it. But if the NBA came out and said, go home, go to New Orleans, just go to New Orleans, you're done. Because they didn't even try last night. And what's in, what's in, and this is why the Jazz should be concerned. New Orleans, they did not try because they didn't even play. They didn't even play Zion. That's not real. Fifteen minutes, you didn't even try. Mm-hmm. And it's still, it came down to a last second shot by Brandon Ingram. The, jazz, the again, the Jazz are in trouble, and New Orleans right now, they still have a cake schedule, and I think they can still stay within striking distance because it, it, it's the schedule is that soft. They can still have a chance to do the play-in against Memphis or, you know, whatever, whatever it shakes out. They, it's still possible in my estimation. Memphis, Memphis lost, lost their game today. So, right. Okay. They're still, that's right. you know, so it's still, yeah. The, yeah. That, that lead four game lead, something like that. That's, that's still what it remained. Yep. But I mean, Zion was, he was 13 points, six of eight doing whatever he wanted. Um, I thought Drew Holiday, I, I was impressed with him by and large. I thought he played a fine game. Um, Brandon Ingram, Brandon Ingram, he's he's a walking bucket at this point. Um, much much improved, definitely in the uh, in consideration for most improved player. He's had a great season. Yep. Um, JJ Redick did some things for you last night. Um, I, I'm I am gonna say that uh, Lonzo Ball, he was he was a travesty last night. I mean, two for thirteen, looking like looked like he looked like he took he shot uh, took in jump shooting practice in months. I don't know the whole the whole layoff. He wasn't he wasn't even concerned with keeping that jump shot up. I got to see a little bit more from him, um, but it's it's such a disappointment. I mean, we talked about and, and Drink has made this point on several occasions. A lot of people are not interested in New Orleans without Zion. That's the reason you want to watch. That's the reason, in my estimation, New Orleans is here with all these other Spurs. Wizards, Suns, none of these teams belong in here. They don't. But because we threw in the Pelicans, we had to, you know, throw in some few more teams, and you had to bring an Eastern Conference team along to make it look like they challenging for a playoff spot, which they're not. I mean, Bradley Beal said, no, nah, man, I'm not even worrying about this. This is we, – we, 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 we're not good. We're not making it. Um, so, overall – and it was sloppy to your earlier point. This was a, this was a pretty sloppy game. And I think some of that is to be expected because even though you have the scrimmages, I think this was the first actual game that they played the bigger point, And this is a bigger point to the whole NBA. I'm not all that concerned. I do want, I, I do hope they tighten it up a little bit as we progress, but it's the playoffs that I'm really looking at the playoffs. We need to see some clean, fine tuned basketball if we have that, all of these games will be worth it. But yeah, in the end, I'm not the Jazz. You shouldn't be all that encouraged by this win. You you need to be a lot better than you were last night. And New Orleans didn't even try. They really didn't. All right, time to finish off with rapid reaction. A lot of topics, a little bit of time. Let's go, Jay. All right, the Chargers and pass rusher Joey Bosa have agreed to a five-year, one hundred and thirty-five million dollar extension making him the highest paid defensive player in football. Is he worth that much? Well, I'm not sure if he's quite worth that much, but he is worth about a sack a game, and he has established himself as a premier edge rusher in the league. So it's really no surprise after Miles Garrett got his contract that Bosa was going to pay day two. We know when these guys get them close together, the next guy always gets a little bit more. The New York Yankees bullpen is set for a big boost as closer Aroldis Chapman has been cleared to return to the team. That's good news, right? Oh, it's Great news for the Yankees, uh, bad news for the rest of the American League. You know, he's still bringing that uh, upper 90s, 100-mile-hour fastball and that big breaking slaughter. Uh, so it's a big boost for the back of that bullpen. And the, the Yankees are just super talented. They're, they're going to be tough to beat regardless. Pac-12, Big Ten, and now the SEC. Well, they've approved conference-only schedules for the upcoming college football season. Is this the right choice? 
Uh, I guess I'm not a huge fan of it personally. You know, it makes no sense that a team, say like Florida, they ha- they can travel to Lexington or Texas for a game in the SEC, but they can't run down the street to play Florida State. I, I think that at least one non-conference game should have been allowed by these teams to preserve rivalry. Some of them that go back into the 40s and 50s are going to get canceled now, and that's some big traditional hit when college football is a lot about tradition. It, the response to me feels pretty ham-fisted, but that's the way it goes sometimes. Memphis Grizzlies point guard John Morant says the NBA's play-in format for the last playoff spot is unfair to his team. Do you agree? Oh, yeah. No, no doubt. He, he's just saying what we've been saying for weeks now. And the unfortunate thing right now is the Pelicans aren't even interested in taking advantage of it. But we covered that in the last segment. Uh, moving on. Franchise tag defensive end Yannick Ngakwe has yet to report to training camp. I know you're shocked by this news. Socks are just blowing off my feet, man. Yeah, I'm not sure if we're going to see Yan at all. I mean, he seems pretty dead set on not showing up, but it is important to understand he hasn't signed his franchise tender yet, so he can't be fined yet by the team because he's not technically under contract. He just only has one contract option to sign. Uh, he'll try to hold the team's feet to the coal as long as they can to get a trade, but the Jaguars should have paid the man a long time ago. He'd be a bargain now compared to what Bosa and Garrett just got paid, but, you know, go Jaguars. The Houston Astros will be without reigning Cy Young winner Justin Verlander for at least two weeks as he nurses a right forearm strain. What does that mean for the Astros going forward? Uh, with Justin Verlander, the Astros are a threat for the World Series. Um, without him, and if it, this turns out to be more serious and he cannot return, um, they, they will struggle to make the playoffs in my estimation. Mm-hmm. Texas general manager and coach Bill O'Brien says the team is working hard towards a contract extension for quarterback Deshaun Watson. Your thoughts? I'm not sure Bill O'Brien works hard at anything GM related, but I'll take his word for it. Uh, The the Texans are under a lot of pressure now to get Watson's deal done in the wake of the Mahomes contract. They definitely don't want to wait till next season and possibly have Lamar Jackson push that market even further upwards. We know that's coming down the road. They can convince Watson to take a big fully guaranteed deal that still keeps him a little bit below the average of Mahomes value. Then they definitely need to do it. Major League Baseball and the MLBPA have agreed to seven inning double headers for the remainder of the season. It's a good idea, right? Yeah, I think so. You got some of these teams, including the Miami Marlins, dealing with these uh, with the coronavirus right now. So they've had a whole week of games scratched out. Um, if you got any hope at making those games up, I think you're going to have to play double headers and not play the com- complete nine inning games. I think this is a good move. The Bucks have signed running back LaShawn McCoy to a one year contract. How big a role do you expect he will have in Tampa? Uh, he hasn't has the production that we've, we saw back in 2016 and 17, where he was averaging, you know, almost 1200 yards a season with the bills. But I think he is going to be one of those really good backs to compliment Brady. You know, he kind of has that feel of some of these, those Patriots style running backs we saw that are definitely dual threats out of the backfield that Brady's used to having. So McCoy will be pretty good in that regard. And I expect he'll have a kind of a bounce back here in Tampa. Last one, heat and nuggets tomorrow afternoon in the bubble. Who you got? I'm going with Miami. You know how much I love me some Jimmy Butler. I think he has a big game, and he is the reason Miami wins tomorrow night or tomorrow. All right. Well, that concludes today's Drink of Wisdom. I'm Cody Ward. And I'm Jay Wise. And remember, make tomorrow better than today. Make today better than yesterday. We'll see you next time.